Well, good morning to everyone. Thank you. <laughs> this is a great day, okay? This is a great and glorious day that the Lord has given to us down from the ages, the gift of this day. This is the day that we celebrate transformation. This is a, a promise. A promise was fulfilled. And the wary disciples became bold evangelists, empowered by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that that same Holy Spirit that we just heard about, that came upon the disciples in Jerusalem, that that Spirit is here now. That Spirit is in this church. That Spirit is what makes the church the church with a capital C. That Spirit is here. And we are emboldened and strengthened by that Spirit. We call on it when we baptize children into the body of Christ. We feel it in our worship. At least I hope we feel it. I hope at some point in this hour and a half that we're together that you will feel the Holy Spirit. It will be today in the ecumenical service that we have. All of these examples and opportunities of the Spirit the empowering and enlivening spirit being with us. It was in the cathedral yesterday when Bishop Sutton ordained a gentleman by the name of Les Roberts into the sacred order of deacons. He called upon the spirit. And I can remember in my own ordination when those who surrounded me and laid hands on me chanted softly, Veni Sancti Spiritus. Veni, Sancti, Spiritus, come, Holy Spirit. This Spirit, this power is available because a promise was fulfilled and because a mission was completed. And there's a lesson here for all of us, a point of connection about patience and about obedience. If you remember, back in the Gospels, the end of Luke's Gospel, where he says to his disciples, stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then in the opening chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you, you will be my witnesses. There's a word not only for the ancients, but a word for us today. You will be my witnesses as a command, or, or we can turn it around to be an invitation where Christ says to us, will you be my witnesses? What must the disciples have made of these words? What did Jesus mean? When would it happen? True, he said, wait here in Jerusalem. But he didn't say how long they should wait. If you've ever had to wait on a promise, you might know something about what the disciples felt. There's the initial flush of excitement and anticipation. Something glorious and wonderful is promised to you. And then doubt sets in as the wait 
It gets longer and longer. Be patient, you're told. It will happen. I can remember when I was a kid and waiting for promised visits from my, uh, from my grandmother or from, uh, from some of my cousins. And you know, the wait was excruciating. Excruciating, you know, the hours seemed like days when they say we're going to be there on Saturday and then wake up and it's just like, well, the hours just seem like, like they say, like days, slowly, slowly. And I, I go outside to look for a familiar car and try to occupy myself, but I was too distracted. Where were they? You know, one ear cocked for the sound of the car coming up the driveway, for the sound of a voice, for the sound of, of laughter. They said they were coming. And sometimes I just plop down on my sofa, all of my hope just fading away. Now, this was long before the time of, of cell phones, so uh, there was no way to, to contact anyone. Once they left home, there was no way to get in touch with anybody. All you had to do, all you could do was wait and watch the clock. Of course, in the story of the Acts of the Apostles there, the disciples didn't have clocks. All they had was Jesus' words and his promise. Stay here in the city. How long? until you have been clothed with power from on high. But when will that happen? There's no answer. As I said, there's a lesson here about patience and about obedience. Scripture tells us that the wait was 10 days from Ascension to Pentecost. But the disciples did not know that. And so they waited and waited just as they were told. And then, and then, suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, something like tongues of fire rested on each of them, all 120 of them. That's about what we have here today, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Imagine, all 120 of you, every man, woman, and child, had the Spirit and they were transformed. The promise was fulfilled. The Lord had acted just as he said that he would, just as Joel prophesied. That's what that scripture comes from. As Joel said, in that great and glorious day of the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, even upon my slaves, and you will be my witnesses. You know, in all of their, their celebration and their, their proclamation and everyone rushing out into the streets and, and talking and the Elamites and those from Mesopotamia and everyone hearing the great deeds of the words of God in their own language and all of that excitement, they had no idea what the Holy Spirit was calling them to do, what the Holy Spirit had in store for them. They thought, they thought that the outpouring of the Spirit was all about the restoration of Israel. They had their own ideas about how far this message would go and to whom it would be given. Sometimes we have the same situation, don't we? Sometimes. 
We think, I know what the Spirit should be doing. I have a definite plan and a definite boundary that I have established for the Spirit to work, and not outside of that. That was the conception. But the Lord said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, even on my slaves. There's a gentleman who came at the 8 a.m. service. He looked like he had just either escaped, wandered off, or been discharged from the hospital or the mental ward of the hospital. Still had his hospital robe on. Had a cup of um, Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Asked me if I would pour some wine into the coffee. He said, no, I can't do that. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's real. It's like the, um, the scripture being brought in front of me to say, aha, here, this man who looks half crazed, who looks like he's just wandered out of the mental ward, still in his hospital robe, this man, this man too, upon him I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my power. And with that, we can all rejoice and pray, as St. Paul says, glory to God, right? Whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him who can pour out his spirit on people that I wouldn't yet even imagine that that spirit could be poured on. And then we would do something. And what is the spirit? What is this power? St. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, reminds us that God did not give us a spirit of cowardice to pull back and say, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. The world is so big. Evil is so powerful. What can I do? Not a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love. And to the Romans, he wrote, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who has faith. In our Bible study that's been going on for, well, since early January, studying Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, we've had many conversations about the Holy Spirit and how it has worked in our lives and how it has been made real in our lives how it has been made present in our lives. And, and in doing that and, and in sharing those stories, we are witnesses to each other. It's a call for you, brothers and sisters, to share your own stories about how the Holy Spirit works in, in your life. Be a witness to that power, that power that is not constrained by our social hierarchies and our prejudices does not respect our limitations, like I said, the little box that we might like to construct for it. It can whisper to us quietly. It can, at times, grab us by the lapel and shake us, trying to get some sense into us. 
It can take us to where we want or don't want to go, but where we should be. Sometimes it is right beside us, right? Consoling us and guiding us. Sometimes it is closing one door and opening another. You ever had that happen to you? You have an idea. I know exactly where I want to go. I know it. And the door gets closed. And yet, another one opens. Not where we want to go, but where we should go. It's made real in the Acts of the Apostles where Paul and the disciples want to go into Asia and proclaim the gospel. And the Spirit says, no, that's not the way to go. But they go instead to Greece. They meet Lydia. And the word of God spreads. Closing one door. Opening another. And that sometimes the spirit is just so far ahead of us. We can barely see it. It's calling out over its shoulder. Come on, y'all. Come on. I got something to show you. I got a new door for you. I got a new way for you. And sometimes, when that happens, we can be like the disciples and just in protest say, Enough! Enough, dear Lord, for heaven's sakes. First, you want to send us out of Jerusalem to the Samaritans. And then you want to send us on to the Gentiles. Who's next? What's next? Same thing can happen to us again and again and again. The Spirit pulling us forward, forward. We want to say, Stop! I can barely wrap my head around what is happening now, let alone what you want me to do tomorrow. We ask, does all really mean all? And indeed, indeed it does. Just consider what is taking place in our church today. Baptism, we hope, Proclamation of the word, reception of the body and blood of Christ, the mystery of the body brought real by you. Consider that. And this is only a small part of God's grand story of salvation and of restoration. A story that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. A power that is calling us for transformation. That's why we proclaim the word. To transform ourselves. That's why we engage with the word. To be transformed. To come in this place as individuals. And then be transformed into the body of Christ. The body of Christ given for the world. As I said, that spirit and that power is yours, brothers and sisters. That spirit is here. Peter and Paul, they had it. Lydia and Mary, they had it. Barnabas and Timothy, all of them that we read about, all of them had that spirit, all of them received that promise, all of them fulfilled their mission. And it's because that they fulfilled their mission that we have our mission. So our work continues. Our work <coughs> remains set before us. And before us, the risen Christ 
who is the one who has poured out the Spirit and made this possible. The risen Christ stands before us and with the command says, you will be my witnesses or with an invitation says, will you be my witnesses? Will you be my witnesses? And our prayer, our response should be, how, Lord? How? Show me the way, and I will follow you. Sometimes joyfully, like the disciples there in that intense moment. Sometimes warily, where are you calling me? But hopefully and prayerfully, we will follow faithfully. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.